0: as a brand new, young, married man. We were young, we were married, for only, oh, years. I mean, it seems like eternity sometimes. Sometimes it feels like forever. When you're young and married, everything's so new. And then we got pregnant. And this was terrifying. I'm going to be a dad. It was just terrifying. I I still don't know what I'm doing. But I remember very distinctly the most terrifying thing about this time. For me, it was walking into a baby store. We walked into this baby store. I remember walking in, and there's this woman there, huge smile on her face, greets us. Oh, congratulations. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> so she congratulates us. She starts escorting us around and starts talking about some things. And, and she starts to talk to us about safety. She says, the most important thing for your new baby is that he or she is safe. So she starts to show us all of this baby stuff. Now, if you haven't been in one of these baby stores, because they're not really around as much as they used to be back in that day, um, I'm just going to speak to the guys right now. Imagine the opposite of Cabela's. That's what's happening to me right now. I'm walking around and she's showing me all of these cribs, which are priced more than my car. And then she starts showing these mobiles, which means if you do this, your child will be the smartest child God has ever created. And she's showing us all of these items. And I'm looking at this thinking, first of all, there's no way in the world I'm going to afford this. Second of all, what is all this stuff? So I'm going around and then the sales pitch comes. Now, if you're a salesman or saleswoman, uh, forgive me, this is not a slight on you, but I'm just going to speak of my experience. This salesperson wanted to let me know something very clear. If you do not purchase these, a wonderful assortment of all of these items to keep your child safe, because anything less than what you purchased today from me today is going to create a child who will be terrible. If you don't buy the safest, most perfect crib, your child is going to be completely messed up. They are going to have a terrible childhood and there's all likelihood in the world that he or she is going to be the worst thing possible, a Cubs or Bears fan. Now, I bought everything I could at that moment. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But this, from a guy's perspective, you're walking around this baby store And there's nothing really inside of me that says, ooh, that crib looks like a great option. Now, I was born in the late 70s, which means I grew up and chewed on a lead paint crib. I had the kind of crib where you could stick your head in there and it would get stuck, and you're a baby, you figure a way to get yourself out. This is a different generation of growing up our children. But what I do remember more than anything was this. The early 2000s was a very different time. The early 2000s, and now, as we've moved along in our generation of Gen X pastors moving into Millennial pastors, we have very, or, or people, excuse me, uh, we have a very different way of parenting. We are told that if anything happens to your kids, it's kind of your fault, and so we start to do something called helicopter parenting. If you're not familiar with helicopter parenting, that is this idea that we as parents are always watching our kids all the time to keep them safe. We go and make sure that they're never going to get a boo-boo. We make sure they've got their helmet on when they ride their bikes, which I didn't do that for my kids, but you, we make sure that they don't get skinned and hurt. And they, We want to create a child that says this world is safe for you, but guess what? This world is not safe. This world is not safe at all. And what's even more interesting now is that This generation of children that were born and raised in this safe, bubble-wrapped, safe community has grown up during one of the hardest times through pandemics. They've grown up in terror. They've grown up in all of these situations that as a kid from the 80s, all I did was play with my brand new Transformers for Christmas and eat candy canes. I did not think about those things. But this next generation, though we tried so hard to keep them safe, we found out there's nothing safe. The world is hard. But as a dad, my heart breaks because even though I didn't want to buy their $5,000 crib, and I didn't make that very clear, um, I think we got a hand-me-down from someone or something. But, uh, well, that makes sense. Sorry. Uh, You know, we really, in the course of everything, want to be safe. And in the course of this last year in 2021, I reflected on what I would call one of the hardest, most difficult years of my personal life. And I said, oh, I can't wait till 2020 turns the calendar. We get to 2021 and we're free of the pandemic. We're back to everything normal. And now as we end 2021, all we talk about is Omicron. And now we talk about new variants and all the fear factors. And fear just continues to surround us. And as a parent, all I want to do is keep my kids safe. But how do I keep my kids safe knowing that the world is not safe? In fact, the world is hard, and we joke, and if you're on, on social media, we talk about all these different memes of, about adulting, like how hard adulting is, and adulting is nothing that I thought when I grew up. I thought when I grew up, when I was adulting, adulting would mean I got to go eat candy whenever I wanted, which I do. I get to go to Taco Bell whenever I want, which I shouldn't, but I do. I, as an adult, can go and do whatever I want. I didn't know it would be so hard. I thought it would be fun and we would get to I would have all this money and I would do all these things. I'm like, oh my word, adulting is hard. Being a kid is hard. Life is hard. But as a parent, all I want to do instinctually is keep my baby safe. I want something to say. I want to know that I'm here for you. If I can keep you safe from the rest of the world, just know. But the truth of the matter is that the world is not safe. The world hurts. And this is where Jesus enters into the story. This is going to be a different time of Christmas story for you because we're going to enter the Lord Jesus Christ into a world that's not safe. Jesus comes from absolute perfection in heaven with his Father. He gets everything. There's, it's perfection where the Lord God rests and he goes into the nightmare of being born as a human On Earth, What's even more interesting about this, as we look at this childbirth of Jesus and we look at the story, we are skipping over the safety factors of this whole thing. He wasn't born in a very clean environment. Mary didn't have what you would call bed rest. We did not have any of the stories here that we would be very normal with in our culture. It was a terrible situation, born into a terrible world. And that terrible situation, born into a terrible world, led us to a Savior who's going to save the world. And as He comes to save the world, what does He even look like? That's what we're going to dig into our passage today. We're going to be in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, um, if you're looking for a good app, uh, the Bible app, if you look up YouVersion, is a great free version that I use personally uh, version. if you look it up in any of your stores, either Android or Google or on your iPhone, great version that's got uh, small group questions, it's got devotionals, it's got different versions of the Bible for you to read. Uh, encourage you to take a look at that, called version. Um, but I'm also old school. I like the old paper kind as well. Those are excellent as well. I want you, as we start to process the low standards that Jesus was born into, we're going to enter into a story where Jesus is born in a Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem in a manger, that this is God's son. He's the chosen one to save Israel. The chosen one to save Israel has been waited upon for many, many years. There was this promise that one was going to come to save Israel, that there would be a chosen one, the Messiah. And so everybody's waiting, 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 and they're looking for signs. If you haven't heard any of our rest of our series go back that actually what we're talking about that God is among us that there were signs that were coming that the king was coming and so they've been waiting 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 looking for these signs and they're waiting for a king they're waiting for someone who is going to be regal because Jesus was going to be in the line now of King David which was their greatest king So they were waiting, 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 and here comes the signs, and the signs are all lining in place. Here comes the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's going to save us. The Messiah is here, and this dude is born in a barn. He's born in the lowliest of conditions. He's born into a poor, poor, poor family. He's born into nothing. He's born into this disgrace He comes not like a king, and so you'd have to start and stop and scratch your head and say, maybe we're missing this whole thing, because a king reigns. We all, all of us in this world of adulting, read and understand leadership books. We listen to TED Talks. We hear about leadership. We hear about what great leaders do. We try to keep practices of what to do, you know, get up early in the morning, read lots of books, blah, blah, blah. So we hear all this stuff. And so our idea of what a great leader looks like is being communicated through us, through our culture, and so they are waiting through their culture for their king, and he comes completely opposite. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This passage, the author Paul is instructing the church on how to have relationships with each other. This is how we are supposed to live, but I want you to listen. We have to emulate Jesus, and he gives a beautiful picture of who Jesus was, how he lived, and how he loved. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. So he's setting this up. You guys have to act like him. This is how Jesus rolled, if you will. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing being take, by taking on the very nature of a servant. Listen to those two words, nothing and servant. Being made in human likeness, nothing, servant, like a human. Nothing, he's serving, and he's like a human. The three of those are not what kings. Great regal. This is not the Messiah. You would think this makes no sense. Why would he come and be taking on this lowly space to be made like a human? Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man again. This is not a good situation for him. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I'm going to pause for a second because this whole idea of this king of mine doesn't look like this. I want that my king to look like Michael Jordan. I want my king to drop 55 points against the Boston Celtics. I want my king to have huge cars. I want my king to be super good looking. I want my king to stand up at a microphone and be well spoken and have just wisdom pouring out of them. I want my king to be someone I just cherish and love and is an icon for our community. And that's what I want my king to be. I want my king to give me lots of money. I want my king to, I want to be his best friend. We could hang out and go swimming together. I want my king and I start putting all my pieces of the story of my king together and it doesn't match up with what this king is. And the truth of the matter is in our lives, you place what you want God to be in your story just like I just did. I want my God to answer all my prayers. I want my God to give me money. I want God to keep me safe. I want, I want, I want, I want. But perhaps we're putting the wrong God into the story. Because the true God of the story humbled himself, served him, served, became one of us, and then died. And he didn't only just die. He went to the most gruesome, terrible, degrading, awful deaths that there are for the worst of criminals so that you can be free. And so in my mind and my story, I create a king of like, oh, I'd totally follow that guy. In this story, if we're completely honest, we wouldn't follow this guy. He's not dynamic, he's not in TED Talks, he's not super awesome, and he lives a life that's not very safe. In fact, this story of this Jesus makes me uncomfortable because I look at what he did, humble, serving, broken, helping, dying. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm supposed to emulate this king. Why doesn't the king tell me I'm supposed to get mine? I'm supposed to take care of myself. I should be about myself and then help others kind of when I want to. Why is it that this king is the wrong king for me? And we're honest, it's kind of disappointing in some ways. Because in my mind, there's a king that's better than this, if honest, and we're all honest. There's a God, there's a Messiah, there's a Jesus, there's a story of Christmas that looks different. But from the very beginning of our Christmas story, this king starts and begins his story at the lowliest of places to fill us into 2 Philippians 2, or Philippians 2, 5 to 11 for a reason. He's showing us how we are supposed to live by the way that he came and he lived and he died because that's the way of the true king. The true king loves. The true king serves. The true king gives. And when we pause for a second, we think, what kind of leader do we want in our lives? One who serves, is humble, who gives, who is charitable, who would give his life for you. Do we want a king that would be in our community, for our community? Do we want a king that would say, everything I have is for everybody else? Do I want a king in which I invite all people into my courts? It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter your story, your background. It doesn't matter how much you've done in the past and how much you're gonna do in the future. It does not matter what skin color you are. It does not matter what political stance you take. It doesn't matter if you have a shot or don't have a shot. All I say to you is that you are all welcome into my kingdom. You're all welcome. That's who this king is. So in our minds, we create a king that we want to worship, but the truth of the matter is is that that king is not something we want to worship. This king, Jesus, came exactly perfect. He came exactly the way he should have came. Perfect. So let's keep reading on. Verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you are a wordsmith, there's a statement that we say, verse 9, you always ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Because he's making a statement, verse 9, therefore. Because King Jesus... Came as a servant and loved and gave and died. Therefore, God exalted him. It looks like the economy of God is very different than the economy of man. Because in our world, we exalt and lift up those who have great riches, great power, great voices. We put those at the highest esteem. If you are simply good at acting, you're considered a king or queen in our country. I'm good at making things up on a stage. Therefore, I get exalted and get lots of money. And you look at my Instagram and love me. If you're an actor or actress, we exalt people for all the wrong reasons. But God says, I exalt those who are humble. I exalt those who sacrifice. I exalt those who are are willing to give everything for others. Now, as a recipient of somebody who's willing to give everything for others, I think we'd all say, that sounds great. I'll take all you have to give, King Jesus. This is great. You can give to me. I love it. But we are to, in verse 5, we are supposed to have the same mindset of King Jesus. You are supposed to live exactly the way that he did, in humility, in servanthood, and willing to give your life away for others. Now it gets a little bit not as fun at Christmas time. Now we look at the manger, with the plastic Jesus, with the plastic Mary, and the plastic Joseph, they're making out of milk jug cartons. Uh, great 80s decoration. If you have it, I applaud you. My wife won't let me get one. I want one so bad. But those plastic glowing ones where Joseph has, Joseph has like the pink robe, Mary's got the blue. You know what I'm talking about, man? And then some kid in your neighborhood always steals baby Jesus. Shame on him. But we look at this scenario and we say, oh, man, this is so awesome. But are you willing to do it? Are you willing to be a homeless man like Jesus was because he was homeless? Are you willing to give your life for people you don't like? Let me go back. Are you willing to give your life for people who hate you? Are you willing to serve and take care of people like Jesus did in his ministry, knowing full well that they were all going to turn their back on him and scream crucify him days later? Are you willing to look at life from a perspective of God versus the perspective of man? Because Christmas time does not make sense from man's economy. It doesn't make sense that a king would come and be born like this. It doesn't make any sense. But in God's world, it does. God lifts up the humble, God goes and takes those who are lowly on the ground and lifts them up and says, Well done. Our economy is so messed up compared to God's. And Jesus does it all right here. And the truth of the matter is this. God did not send his son to be safe. God did not send his son to be put in bubble wrap. God did not send his son into a $5,000 crib. In fact, God sent his son, knowing full well, what was going to happen to save humanity? And I cannot get that through my mind. Because in my mind, I want to protect my family. I want to protect my friends. I want to protect everybody the best that I can. But like we said, adulting's hard. Imagine this whole scenario. If you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or you have some relationship with young kids, you can understand this. All we want to do is know that they're going to make it, right? That they're going to be okay. We want them to make good choices in life so they don't screw up like all of us have, right? Make choices, not like me. Make good choices. And we, we, we just want this so bad for them to succeed and have a great life and be happy. And we want to do everything we can to bubble wrap our children. But the truth of the matter is, what we should be is teaching them to be humble servants to give their life for others. Because that's the economy of God. What we should say is, my dear child, life is going to be hard. If you follow Christ, it's not going to make sense to people. But I'm calling you to give, love, serve, and be a living sacrifice to others and to give your life for the cause of the gospel because all that matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm in my, mid foreigners now, and in my, at this age, yeah, I'm not going to say that again. I remember Christmas as a child. I still have the memories and the smells and the the traditions. I still have all this inside of me. I remember the innocent laughter and joy of opening gifts. I remember, and many of you do remember this time, and those who are young in here, you still have some of that feeling. But if you're getting older as a teenager, you're starting to understand, hmm, boy, life is a little different than what I thought when I was 10, right? I remember all these stories. I, I remember, and inside of me, I still feel like I'm this little child. I still feel When I play hoops, I'm still 18, I swear to you. In my mind, right? Like I try to cut and then my ankle goes out, right? I I think, I I just can't believe how fast this life goes. And if I'm at halftime, that means if God grants me another day to live or another week or another month, even another year, if I'm at halftime, what's the second half look like? Is my life going to be just more of this trying to be great and try to achieve and try to keep everybody safe and try to do everything in my economy or or, or the world's economy, or am I willing to look at God's economy at Christmas time and say, every time I see that baby in a manger from this day forward, I see what my call is to be, it's supposed to be like him. When I see a baby in a manger, whether it's plastic or wood, whether it's in your house or outside, whether it's at Christmas time or it's in the middle of the summer, every time I think of this Christmas story, I'm starting to embrace the fact I'm called to be a humble servant, willing to give my entire life for the sake of the gospel, that others may find life. Because if I have, if Lord decides to grant me another 40 years, that means in 40 years I'm going to be face to face with him. That means that my time here is done and I want to invest in what's fruitless here or do I want to be who God is and what God's calling me to be which is a humble, lowly servant of others. Now listen to this. Listen to this perspective. You're like, this is the weirdest Christmas talk ever but I want you to listen now to the Christmas story just a short portion of Luke chapter 2 verses 4 to 7. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to a house in line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there's no room for him, for them in the inn. What? What? The king has come. We don't even have a onesie for him. We don't have one of those little burrito-type blankets where you wrap the arms and snuggle them in with the little things so they don't scratch their faces with their new little finger claws. And so we don't have him papoosed so that he feels like he's inside the womb still, so he can have a great transition from mother to world? You're telling me that this pregnant woman just went on a long journey of a census to go into a place like, hey, I'm going to have a baby. Sorry, can't come here. What kind of place is this, by the way? <laughs> I'm, I'm, in, I'm having birth. I'm having, you know, like, I'm having a baby now. Like, Cool, go over here. Like, what's going on? Start, it's a side note. But so you get this all done, and, and she gives birth to this baby. What is she thinking? This is terrible. This is low standards even for their time. This isn't normal. And what do they have? They have these cloths. So they wrap him up. They place him in a manger. There's nowhere for them to go, and the king has come. He began as a humble servant. And I love this perspective. He came as a humble servant. He came this way so that the lowliest of people on earth know that he is obtainable that this great king, if we think of all of our high celebrities, great athletes, all the people that we think are great, do you think you can walk up to them at any time and they'll give time a day unless you pay $300 to get their signature? And then at that point, if you've ever had a signature from uh, somebody, like, oh, hey, what's your name? Great. Awesome. Great to meet you. Uh, Who's next? This king who came in such a lowly place, and walked among people, and was homeless, and was poor, so that the lowest of low can come and say, I know that I can be with this king. If he had come as this regal king that all the Jewish people wanted, he would have felt untouchable. Uh, He he would have felt like we couldn't get to him. And at the top of that, that's the economy of man, not the economy of God. So the economy of God comes and says, everybody can come to Jesus It started that way, and everybody can come to the cross because he died like a criminal. We are all criminals in this room. That means you can come to him at the the beginning in the manger. You can come to him at the cross. He's accessible for all of us. That's my king. Boy, does that flip the script when we start to look at this story. We look at this fantastic perspective that in Luke 2.12, it goes on that angels tell these shepherds that there's going to be a manger and that there's a sign and that the Messiah now is among them. He is among us. That this great one who's going to save us is now here. And so they tell them that shepherds to go and take a look. And so the first people into the party are not very great people. If you know the story of shepherds, these aren't the highest of society. These aren't the regal people. They're known for actually not being very dirty, unclean, criminals, living a life of debauchery. There's all these stories and historical fact that these weren't the people that would be the first ones who get to see a brand new king, but the very first ones who come to the king are you and me. So if you have a really bad story in your life and you feel, and I've heard this a hundred times, and if you said it this morning, obviously it didn't work. If I walk into the church, the church walls are going to fall down. It's not true. So if you're here today, if you're on Facebook, uh, come try it. I'd like to see it. We have insurance. But it's, it's not true because Jesus came for the people who feel that if they walked into a church building, the walls would fall down. It's not true if you say, but Jason, you don't know my story. I say, I don't have to know your entire story, but if you are broken and you're looking for someone to save you, this king is here for you. This king brought shepherds, the first ones, to see him. This king came lowly. This king died lowly. This king came for you. David Jenkins explains this in his writing. Jesus being born in a manger highlights that there was no place that bars the way for the Lord. All of this reveals how accessible and available Jesus is to sinners. The king of kings and the Lord of lords came humbly, and his first bed was a manger. Jenkins continues on. The good shepherd would first take, make his bed among the sheep. The saving God who made his tent with Israel in the wilderness now made his tent in the flesh, and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. The Son of God became a humble servant, and he's now among us. So let's flash back now to Philippians chapter 2. Listen to this verse again. Everything we've talked about this morning, listen to this now. In your relationships with one another... That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. This is the ultimate experience, the ultimate example of humility. God among us is terrifyingly humble. The king of the universe, the one who holds stars and plants in his hand, the one who's In our lives, the one who is saving humanity, God of the universe, the one who created everything that we see around us, the one who created animals that are awesome, things we don't understand, who created molecules and science and created all this, the God of the universe is now crying in a manger, not even swaddled in a papoose. How humble is this king? Debbie... Resbisky says this about his humility. His humility was expressed most when he became a man and died on the cross. He never insisted on his rights and privileges to be honored, understood, or viewed rightly, but he emptied himself emptied himself of his reputation. He was content to be seen as ordinary and did not seek esteem. Jesus had the lowliness, lowliness of heart. Wow. This king at Christmas is unbelievable. This king at Christmas is not making sense. This king at Christmas, and we celebrate, Jesus would not have had the presents that are underneath your tree. Couldn't afford them. At his own birthday, people who didn't even come from his nation, the magi came and brought gifts. And they weren't even there on his birthday. They were late to the game. That's a different sermon. But... They didn't even come at the right time. They were all this time later. Jesus had come. Jesus was here. He was poor. He was in a manger. Who is this king? And you can understand why it was hard for people to believe that he was the king. You have all these signs that make sense that God's among us, but they're all pointing in the right direction, but they don't fit who we want him to be. So my question to you this morning is, are you seeking the Jesus of the manger, or are you trying to make God who you want him to be? Are you seeking the Jesus of the manger, or are you trying to make him who you want him to be? Friends, that's probably one of our top problems right now in American Christianity. It's confusing. Things are all over the place. People are running away from the church. I have friends who've been in ministry who are now saying, I don't believe God exists. The word deconstruction is a word that means people are looking at, in my childhood I was taught these things, I don't believe this anymore. And so they're pulling apart the Lego blocks to say, I don't know if I can put this back together to know what I believe. And in my my story, I can't speak of other people's stories. I'm going to speak of my story and my experiences. Many of these problems, these struggles with our faith come because God is not being who we want him to be. Versus us worshiping and knowing who God is. The American God is extremely disappointing. The American version of God leaves us saying, why aren't you giving me more? The God of the Bible says, why aren't we giving more and serving more? The American God says, everything for me. God, if I'm good, you're going to give me all of my dreams, rub the lamp, and you're my God genie. And so now I get riches, I'm fulfilled. The God of the Bible says, humble yourself to death to serve others. And Jesus even went to death as a criminal. That is not as attractive as God's going to give you a lot of money if you're a good person. That's not as attractive as our American version that says, if I'm a good person, God's going to let me into his heaven. The truth of the Bible is that none of us are good enough to earn our way to God's presence. The humble king died did everything, all you have to do is say, I'm not good enough, I accept the gift, Jesus, you did it all for me because you came, lived the perfect life, died for me, so therefore I receive it. God, I need you to save me. And now I live in the way that you do. Totally two different Christmases, two different Jesuses. You want to know why this is so confusing? It's because we make stuff up. I think it's time for us, friends, to stop making up stuff. The Word of God, whether you like it or not, is the Word of God. And I'm going to go to my grave in my second half, and friends, I challenge you to to learn and teach out of that book instead of making up a God we want. Let's learn and search and seek to be the God of the Word, understand who He is, what His nature is, what He's done for humanity, and worship that God instead of trying to make a God who fills our life and our wants. Because our God, Of the scriptures, gave his son to the lowliest of conditions so that you can reach him. That's unbelievable. It's unfathomable to think about it that way. Where does this all come to? I'm going to read this verse for you. This is the author Paul. Before he writes about what we just read about, about God's nature, he says this in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul writes this as he's setting up the nature of who Jesus was. Let me say this again to you. You want to know how to live? How do I, how do I be a Christian? I'm a good Christian, right? People say, I'm a good Christian. I'm like, wow, what does that mean? Uh, let me tell you what it looks like to follow Jesus to be like him. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That is exactly what the Son of God did. The Son of God, who rightfully should be on the throne, the Son of God who is there in all of creation, the Son of God, I don't, I, it's just in my own world, uh, you know those big silver balls where you can like twist things in your hand it's good for like stress and stuff? Not that God does this. I just like Jesus could spin planets in his hand like this. It'd be kind of cool. Not that Jesus gets stressed, but I just kind of like see. whoom, whoom, He holds the stars and the planets in his hands. He has everything in control. The God of the universe said, I'm going to go among my creation, become one of them, and they're going to kill me. That is not safe. Our God was not safe so that you can live. That my friends is the story of the manger over 2000 years ago. So when you take a look at that manger this Christmas season, when you see Jesus in his different forms of plastic, wood, metal, lit up, who knows, massively illuminated, whatever your story is when you see Jesus in the manger, mark this into your head, see the humble beginning of a king so that you could be there with him. That's the God of the Bible. That's the story of Jesus. And that, my friends, is the joy of Christmas. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.